Good morning. Good to see you, Redeemer family and friends. Uh, it is always good to gather together as his people uh, to sing of our triune God. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit. Um, well, if you want to uh, join with me, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, as we read a second ago. So you can turn over there um, if you'd like to follow along. Uh, did you ever have a childhood enemy? Like, think back. Like, some of you are, you're like, I'm a child now. I have lots of enemies. Um, <clears throat> uh, hopefully, if you're grown, your childhood enemies are not still your enemies. Uh, but when I was in sixth grade, I... I I fancied myself as being pretty tough. Um, I wasn't. Um, in fact, uh, there was a kid, I, I think his name was Corey. I can't even remember his name. Uh, and Corey was he, was, he was regularly a punk in my PE class. Corey was an eighth grader. I was a sixth grader. Um, and I myself was a punk, so I knew how to spot it. Um, and as a little punk sixth grader, I thought it would be kind of funny if in our PE class, as I sat on my bench in the locker room to put my shoes on, I thought it'd be really funny if I stuck my foot out as Corey walked by and tripped him. That'd be hilarious, right? We all think that'd be funny, right? Um, he didn't think it was funny. Um, as Corey stumbled to his, to kind of gather his feet as I had tripped him, in one motion, he circled back and punched me in the face. I was a sixth grader, man. Come on. Uh, I, I, and I, I hoped, looking back, I, I, w- I would have hoped that I would have responded better to the punch. Um, this is not like, they didn't make it in the scrapbook. This wasn't like baby's first punch. Um, I, I, it was, I crumpled. Like I went down in a heap um, and probably, not, not probably, did uh, shed a tear. Uh, it, was, it wasn't one of my best moments. Um, but, uh, and so as we ashamedly spoke, uh, we were called into Coach Gabbard's office, and as, as we talked to him, I knew, I knew this wasn't heading in the right direction. Um, quickly, we were on our way together to the principal's office. Um, and on this walk, survival skills kind of kicked in, uh, and, and our brief stint as enemies began to quickly turn into a friendship of necessity. <laughs> Uh, we knew when we got to the principal's office, we got to show him, hey, we're buddies. We, this, we were just playing around. This was just a fun time together. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, after only a light disciplinary action was handed out by our principal, just a couple of days of lunch detention uh, at school, uh, my days of childhood delinquency were soon over. Uh, they were behind me uh, until probably later, a couple years later. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, Corey was an enemy for a moment. Some, some of us, some of you have faced more painful opposition. Some of you have had enemies that, that tormented you for, for months or even years. Maybe even, maybe even had enemies who were in your own home, at your own dinner table. And this is why Jesus' words in Luke 6, to love your enemies it really may be some of the hardest words that he says for us to comprehend. We, we, don't, we don't like them. They sound great. Like, they sound really nice. It, it would, it, it'd be really nice embroidered on something. But when it comes to actually putting them in practice, no. And especially in today's protect yourself at all costs culture, 
They even sound reckless. Surely this isn't what Jesus means. And so as we look at Jesus' call to love our enemies, I want us to see four things. Number one, love for who? Number two, what is love? Amy, Amy told me to sing the song, sorry. Um, number three, uh, uh, love without kickbacks. And number four, love like an enemy. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we need your grace. Now, in a room such as this, there are uh, a hundred different uh, ideas about uh, what it looks like to process words like this. And, and, and Father, I, I just ask that you, would, that you would, by your spirit, speak truth to us. That's what we need. We need your truth. God, would you, would you remove any words that I would say that, 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 are, that are my words? And would you, would you just speak your words to us? Would you give us truth that, that will give us life because it leads us to the Son? Because it leads us and reminds us of your forgiveness and that it sets us free to walk uh, in the power of the risen Christ. Do that today for us. We, we need your help. Help us by your spirit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, number one, love for who? Had to ask that as a question. Love for who? Um, at the end of last week's passage, uh, Pastor Lawson uh, shared with us last week uh, that Jesus kind of ended this description of his inverted kingdom, kind of the new kingdom. Uh, and, and in this in, inversion, the poor are blessed. Blessed are the poor. The hungry are filled, he said. And then he turned around and he said, but woe to you who are rich. Woe to those who are full and highly thought of. What's he doing? Jesus is calling out the proud, right? He's calling out those who would hoard their wealth and their fullness, often at the expense of others. And just as his disciples might have been thinking some smug thoughts to themselves, yeah, woe to them. Way to go, Jesus. Those richy riches and those, the fat cats and the, these, the ones who get their reward on earth. Woe to them. They've been doing it at our expense, so woe to them. Just the very next verse, Jesus says this. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And this, this seems very hard. How are we to understand this? Love enemies. This has to be one of the wildest things that Jesus teaches. I'm sure there are other things that Jesus is gonna say to us uh, that, that are difficult, difficult roads of suffering that he calls his followers to go down. Uh, to put to death idols and, and to put to death the, the idol of comfort and wealth and, and family, e even to walk through persecution to follow him. But this, love enemies, this is too far, Jesus. Martin Luther said, our Lord God must be a pious man to be able to love rascals. I can't do it, and yet I'm a rascal myself. I just love that Martin Luther used the word rascal. Uh, <laughs> So maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe enemy is a bad translation. The Old Testament law spoke of loving your neighbor. This would have been a fellow Hebrew, someone in your spiritual family. 
And yeah, there are commands to show kindness to uh, the foreigner, to other nations, not to gloat over their demise, but, but never command to love. And so maybe that's all Jesus meant. Maybe we're just understanding it wrong. It's like, love your metaphorical enemy or something. You know, like when, when sometimes when my kids disagree with somebody, they'll say, we're frenemies. And I'll be like, y'all are goofy. <laughs> you're friends. They're not your enemy. Maybe, it, or maybe this is like, you know, when your sibling takes a toy. Uh, it's like, like that. Like, love people like that. Love, like, you're, you know, you're, they're, they're really your family, but sometimes they do bad things. So love them. Um, okay, fine. Maybe that's it. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying because look how he describes them. These aren't frenemies. <laughs> Here's what he says in, in verse 27. Here's what these enemies do. Those who hate you. Those who curse you. Those who mistreat you. Some translations say those who abuse you. These are people who oppose you, who are hostile to you. In the next verses, he'll describe them as those who steal from you, even those who are violent to you. Yep, people hitting me, people stealing from me. These are actual enemies. These aren't frenemies. So my real enemies, people who hate me, who curse me, who mistreat me, and I'm supposed to do what? I'm supposed to love them. Okay, well, maybe I'm misunderstanding what love means then. Uh, number two, what is love? So, so what do you mean, Jesus? Like, does that mean just, like, don't be angry at them? Like, is that it? Like, don't post mean tweets about them. Unfortunately, he gives us specifics here too. Here's what he says. Here's how we're to love our enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus, could you be a little clearer? Uh, so I'm supposed to do good, like good works, good actions of love to my enemies. I'm supposed to bless. This is the opposite of cursing. So this would be a verbal. This is speaking favor on them, desiring his kindness to come on them, using the spoken word to, to speak life to them. This is already, I'm, I'm already annoyed by this Lord. Uh, and then I'm to pray for them. I'm supposed to talk to the Lord about them, to ask for his grace in their life. I'm supposed to do that for the one who dishonors and mistreats, who persecutes me. Do good, bless, and pray for them. I, I'm honestly, I don't even think we're very good at doing that for our friends. What a crazy ethic of Christianity. What, a, what an amazing thing that he's called us to. No other religious system in the world asks this. Don't seek vengeance. Yes, I can do that. But offer love? This doesn't really square with us, does it? And so Jesus then, if we don't, we don't like it already, he just keeps going. Uh, how does this love play out? He gives us some illustrations. Verse 29. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. I, I promised that this was the text before last Sunday night's uh, happenings, if you follow things that go on in the world. Uh, so we'll just thank the Holy Spirit for lining that up. Uh, <laughs> Now, now, what Jesus is describing, I think, here is, is probably not a punch. Uh, it's probably more a, a slap, something more, an act of dishonor. This would have been something done in the public square, uh, someone who is uh, rejected or dishonored in, either in the synagogue or in, or in the square. It, it, may, it may be something even more aggressive, but I don't think it's, it's, 
It's not really, I don't think, something overly aggressive violently, although we will see Christians and God's people and Jesus himself suffer violence. But I think this is also for us, this is simply something that speaks of disrespect. This is what will happen, Jesus says, uh, when you engage those who hate you. Often those you try to love will, uh, and you do good to them, they'll dishonor you. They'll disrespect you. Don't lose heart, he says. Even if it means being harmed again, even if you have to turn the other cheek. This is what the apostle Paul's life was like, wasn't it? In each city that he ministered, he, he would walk in and he'd share the news of Jesus and then he's arrested. He's falsely accused. He's imprisoned, but he pressed on. The dishonor would continue to come, but he would, he would keep going. He would finish the fight. He, he loved those who even hated him and he wanted them to know Jesus. Even in chains, right? Remember, he, would, he, he, showed, he showed love both to the rich and the poor. He was indiscriminate in those who were harming him, how he loved them. He showed love and kindness to a poor jailer and then he spoke the kindness uh, of the gospel to King Agrippa. And so this is to be our life, though, though dishonored, persisting in kindness, persisting in love again and again. And then he goes on. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. He's saying, so in seeking to love, people, people may take from you. Don't retreat. Don't pull back your belongings, but continue on. Bless the one who takes your coat by allowing them to have your shirt as well. Do whatever it takes. He's saying risk. Risk your material goods. Continue on in love. Don't lose heart. Don't seek vengeance. And don't demand repayment. And look, I I just want to stop and pause for just a moment here and, and say, and just acknowledge that for, for some of you, this, this topic, this idea, even these very words, they make you recoil. Like some of you in, in this room have been abused. You've, you've been hurt, whether by a parent whether by another adult, someone who harmed you or violated you as a child. Maybe you have been married to someone who has been violent to you. Maybe even a boss or a pastor robbed you of your power to speak up. Maybe someone you should have been able to trust really became an enemy to you. And maybe you, you hear these words, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek, and, and, and you feel like, man, I, I never had a choice. Like, there was no escaping. I had no choice but to turn the other cheek. I was always in harm's way, no way to protect myself. And so I want you to hear this uh, this morning. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Lord hates such cruel acts. He is with you. We are with you. And if you're in that situation, even now, you you don't have to be. 
You don't have to suffer silently. Someone will walk with you. We want to help you. And I know it's possible to hear Jesus' words here and think, this doesn't sound like a higher ethic that he's calling us to. This just sounds cruel. Listen, loving your enemies does not bypass justice. It does not bypass justice. This passage does not mean people are gonna hate you and hurt you, so just hang in, leave the doors unlocked, let people steal your stuff, just keep loving and blessing and learn how to take a punch. That's not what this is saying. That is not just impossible, it it is cruel. No, I think Jesus is saying something else because, because listen to what the Lord said to his people through the prophet Micah. He said this in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That word kindness is steadfast love. So these two ideas, justice and kindness or steadfast love, these don't walk alone. They're friends. Truly loving our enemies never means we bypass justice. If someone breaks a law, then the law should punish them. Some have used this text to say that that Christians should be pacifists or that Christians must not report domestic abuse. But the Apostle Paul, even when we see his example, even though he received dishonor over and again, he still calls out those who violate, them, violate him. Even as he is being harshly treated, he speaks of justice. He tells them, he lets them know that what they're doing is wrong. And when we see others who are being mistreated or abused, do we stay silent? No way. We're called to defend. Isaiah chapter one, God says this. He says, learn to do what is good. Pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So we're to speak and we're to move when others are mistreated. And even when it's someone who is dishonoring us, hurting us, we don't simply turn the other cheek to allow them to continue in their sin. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, no, to turn the other cheek is to speak the truth and love and then to pray that God's spirit will give the offender the opportunity to now, as you turn the other cheek, to kiss instead of strike. See, Jesus isn't eliminating justice when we're wronged. This is not a passage that says we are to serve as doormats. No, instead he is situating justice properly. And he is, he is encouraging and reminding us that true justice is yet to come. God himself says, vengeance is mine. Therefore, we don't have to attack here. We don't have to strike back here. We don't have to return dishonor for dishonor. No, we can speak the truth, but we can do so with peace. We can be calm. Have you ever been around someone who's good at doing that? I think it's really a, a gift. Someone who can take the, the barbs and the attacks of an opponent and respond with truth 
but yet still with hope and love for that person. We can trust the Lord to punish evil. He's trustworthy. And he assures us that justice is gonna one day be realized. Evil will be punished. Wrongdoers will be destroyed. And he also promises that those who mourn, they will be comforted. So we can pray like David in the Psalms. We can pray, God, crush evil. Protect me from those who oppress me. And then we can listen to the words of Jesus and we can ask, Lord, now help me love evildoers. Help me to do good to them. Remind me to pray for them. So what is love when we are wronged? Love is both radical kindness, radical love, and yet it is humble justice. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And isn't that the way of Jesus? The one who is full of kindness, full of love, and also full of justice. Number three, we love without kickbacks. Jesus continues in verse 31, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. So the golden rule, we've heard this one, right? This is a do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, one of the probably most famous statements about human behavior. Uh, if you didn't hear it growing up, you probably have said it to your kids. Uh, it, almost every world religion practices some version of this, including in the Old Testament, we see love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others with the same sort of care that you would want, which sounds, I think, pretty simple. I think it's helpful. But Jesus takes the golden rule and now he's saying, Okay, do that with your enemies now. And I think if we're, we're not careful, the golden rule can, can almost become like a bait and switch. Like, I'm gonna do good to people. I'm gonna love them so that they will do good to me, so that they will love me. I, I, wanna, I want people to treat me well, uh, to get what I want, and so I'll be kind to them. But Jesus immediately, he just pulls that carpet right out from underneath our feet in verse 32. He, he's, he's changing our motivation. That can't be our motivation. Look, listen to what he says. Why do, we, why do we love? Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to those or to sinners to be repaid in full. If you just love people, if you love your enemies just to get love back, well, that's, that's manipulation. That's, that's, that's not what we're being called to. But he says it in verse 35, but love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Why do we love? Why are we good to people. If we're only doing it for the kickback, he says, what, what good is that? Sinners do that. Meaning there's a sinful way to go about love. If love is simply a means to get what you want, that's, that's self-love actually. It's just wrapped in something that looks virtuous. You, you, may, you may even say, I think Jesus is going to say, that's the love of the hypocrites, the Pharisees. Love that looks good 
looks pretty on the outside, but when you get really inside it, it's kind of ugly. It's, it's self-love, it's self-focused. It's the dirty dish that looks pretty, but clean on the outside, but rotten inside. Now, we don't love for the kickback from others. That's, that's transactional love. It's not an I scratch your back so that you'll scratch my back sort of love. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to love your enemies actually requires, it actually requires death to self. It, it requires letting go of expectation. Considering those who have sinned against us, even them, to be more important than ourselves. The world says give so that you receive, but Jesus says in my kingdom, we love first, expecting nothing back. So he goes on, love your enemies, do what is good and, and lend, expecting nothing in return. So we do these things, expecting no kickback. And then what does he say? Then your reward will be great. Wait, so there is a kickback. There is a reward. Notice the tense though. Your reward will be great. It won't probably happen in the moment as you're enduring difficulty. It won't be the reward of your love getting reciprocated. It won't be the, the reward of getting your possessions back that were taken from you. No, there's a future hope for those who love enemies. And it all points back to where? To the Father. Then your reward will be great, he says, and you will be children of the most high. That's a kickback. That's a reward. When you love the unlovely, you begin to look like your father. Our father was the original lover of enemies, wasn't he? Who, who loved enemies better than him? He gave breath to a creation who, who would despise and reject him. He was faithful and long-suffering to people who would do what? Who would worship idols after idol after idol. He would send prophets to call them back, prophet after prophet, out of love for them, only to, for what? For them, to, prophets to be ignored, despised, mocked. And then who did he send? He sent his only son. He sent out of great love, he sent his only son to those who would never receive Jesus, who would only see him as, as light coming into their darkness and they hated him and so they rejected him and they laid him on a cross. And it wasn't only the father, the son, your older brother, the Lord Jesus, he's gonna soon embody this sermon that he's preaching. His face will be struck. He'll receive scourgings and beatings and yet never will he return evil. He could, he could slay them all, but he doesn't. Never strikes back. As he listens to their curses, he doesn't lash out. No, in fact, we read that like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he remains silent. And even as he is mistreated, abused, as he is hung to die on a cross, when he finally gets around to opening his mouth, what does Jesus say to all of this suffering? When he opens his mouth, he does it to pray. And who does he pray for? His enemies. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Christian, when you love those who hate you, you begin to bear the family resemblance. 
you begin to look more and more like your father. When you speak blessing over your coworker who constantly puts you down, you begin to bear the family resemblance. When you humbly pray for the salvation of someone who abused you, you begin to look like your father. When, when someone takes advantage of your generosity and instead of demanding repayment, you give even more, you begin to resemble your brother, your Lord, Jesus. When you love your enemies, your reward is that he changes you. He uses those very hardships to sanctify you, to grow you. And, and as you love, you begin to look a lot more like your father. And then number four, love like an enemy. So if you're like me, and, and I hope you are, I hope I'm not alone in this. I, I, I find this, this is hard. This is, this is a heavier, I feel like a heavier sermon. Because as we look to the example of the father, and as we look to the, the suffering of Jesus, it almost paralyzes us. Like, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't think I have that in me. I don't know if I can love my enemies like you. I don't know if I can suffer like Jesus did. I don't know if I can take what he took. I don't know if I'm up for the task. And if you feel that way, you're not alone. But look at the end of verse 35. He says, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Aren't you so glad he's gracious? Be merciful like your father. I think even we can read that and go, okay, so God is really merciful and kind to his enemies, so I just need to work harder and be merciful to my enemies. But that's not, that's not Christianity, is it? Tim Keller says the gospel is not a strong savior telling strong people, if you can be strong enough, then you will be saved. And likewise, the gospel is not a merciful God telling good people, be merciful like me. No, the gospel tells us that Jesus came not just as an, as an example of mercy and love and how to love your enemies, he didn't come just to teach us how to love enemies the way he did. No, actually, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite. And if you, if you don't hear anything else that I, I say today, I, I catch this. The gospel actually says you were the enemy. You were his enemies. That's what the gospel says. There has been no one more hostile, no enemy more opposed to Jesus than you. This is what becoming a Christian is all about. Realizing that we are opposed to him and then realizing, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. That's not gracious to them, them out there. That's, that's you, that's me. The ungrateful and the evil. And this isn't like theological theory and, and just platitudes. No, it's real. It's reality. You stood, I stood with my fists clenched, my jaw set towards the one who created me. 
Colossians 1 says that once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil action, this is, this is our posture toward God. But it, it doesn't end there. You see, not only did, did Jesus set his love on you, the enemy, not only did Jesus leave heaven for his enemy, not only did he pay the sin for your rebellion as an enemy, but he, not, not only did he endure a death blow that you had earned as an enemy, Jesus went all the way then to the grave for you. And guess what? You didn't even ask him to. You didn't even ask him to do that. He did it. Romans 5 says he did it while we were yet sinners, while we were yet opposed to him. And then and two verses later in Romans 5, in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, while we were still enemies, this is what he did. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? He's got a life for us, a life forgiven reconciled, brought back into relationship with him. And as, as we come into a room together, Christians together gathering, when we gather to worship every week, when we gather together in homes together around God's word, when we, in a minute, when we gather around the table and we, and we eat the elements together, the bread and the cup, I want you to just look around and, and, and be aware that everyone who's taking the meal with you Everyone who has believed in the Lord Jesus, everyone like that is an adopted son or daughter who was an enemy. That's where, that's where we all started. He brought enemies in and he reconciled us. That's who we are. We're a family of former enemies. And when Jesus stepped out of the grave, he gave former enemies like me and like you, he gave us by his grace, through faith, he gave us a new heart. He turned our hard, hateful hearts into hearts of flesh. And what did he call us then? No longer enemies, he called us friends. He called us children. And now he invites you into the family business, the family business of enemy love. And that gives this a different ring in verse 36, doesn't it? Be merciful, just as your father is also merciful. This isn't just a command, it's a reminder. You belong to a family of mercy. His mercy was the only door that you got in. It's the only way you could come in the family. So now go show that mercy. You're not alone. You've been, a lot of you have been shown mercy. And so now you get to go. And when they hate you, it's okay. You hated him too. And his spirit is with you. You can go now. What, what, what an amazing mission to go and love more of his enemies and yours. Church, our, our only hope to truly love our enemies is to see how grievous our hostility toward Jesus was. It doesn't work when we think, I wasn't, I wasn't that bad. I didn't stand opposed to Jesus. I, I was pretty neutral toward him, actually. No. Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, when you confront your enemy, think first of all, uh, think first of all about your own enmity with God and about God's compassion towards you. How does John say it? We love 
How do we do it? Because he first loved us. And there's probably, a, there are probably hundreds of ways uh, for, for us here today to, to apply this sort of principle to our lives. And look, I, I, I know that like love and forgiveness, these are, these are difficult. There, there are some of you here today and every waking moment for you is ruled by someone who wronged you. It was just a replaying in your own mind of ways that you have been wronged and it's just, you just can't even hardly move on from it. And I want you to know that like, loving your enemies, it, it, it doesn't mean that perfect reconciliation is ever going to happen on this earth. It doesn't mean that perfect trust will ever be restored on this earth. Praise God when it is. But the Lord's mercy is, is perfect. And his mercy will set you free. When you take this step to love someone who has been opposed to you in whatever way, uh, he will give you a sense of relief and rest and freedom. And so I would say today, as you consider his mercy, what, maybe there's just one step. Just one step, not a hundred steps, just a step of love. How will you love someone who is hostile to you? The one who's wronged you, the one that maybe you've just avoided because it's just too difficult. Maybe it's just beginning the discipline of regularly praying for them. Just regularly praying and asking God for help, for, them, for him to help them. I, I think sometimes we just need people to help us process. We would love to do that. There, whether it's me or one of our people on our prayer team, one of our pastors, you may just need to go, hey, I, I don't even know what to do. I, just, I know I should pray for this person um, and I don't even know what the next step looks like. Will you just pray with me? Do that. Find help. There are people who want to help you, who want to counsel you, to encourage you. We all need that sort of help in considering the difficult road of loving our enemies. There will be people in the back in just a minute when we uh, start our time of communion. Go pray, ask the Lord together, help me. And maybe, maybe the step is you've just taken, you've taken people who disagree with you about some unimportant issue and you've made them your enemies. You've made, you've made your political opponents your enemies. You've made people who disagree with you about some social issue your enemies. And, and, and I, let me just tell you, like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they are, they're really great tools for fueling your comparison and hatred of those who are different than you. They, they're great at other things too, I, I know and I'm sure of it, but they're really good at doing that. And so I, I just wanna offer an antidote that I think the Lord is pointing us to. Pray for them. Pray for those who feel like they are opposed to you. And then, and then if it's a wise decision in that relationship, I, I, let me just suggest something wild in 2022. Instead of leaving a comment on social media, pick up the phone and call them. Take them to lunch. And hey, try this. Just listen. Listen to them. And instead of exacting your vengeance, find some opportunity in the conversation to tell them how the Lord scooped you out of the pit. 
how you were opposed to him, how you were an enemy to him, and how he set his love on you and made you his child. And look, even in, if in the context of a conversation like that, even if you end up taking it on the chin, even if they rebuff your invitation or they simply treat you with contempt, remember this, great is your reward. The Lord Jesus is making you more like his father. He is changing you. You can rest easy. You are a former enemy. You're now an adopted child, a son and daughter of the most high God. Let me pray for us. Father, this is hard uh, to hear, hard to apply, hard to, um, and God, it's hard because we are, we are weak. Uh, we are um, frail. God, there are emotions that run deeply with many of these ideas. And God, we just, we just acknowledge that you are the only one who is perfectly loved. God, there are those even today who, who maybe we are their enemy. Maybe we, maybe we have been hostile to them. Father, would you help us to be quick to confess? But where there is, where there is a lack of love for those who have hurt us, Father, we need your spirit to change us. And we need the truth of the gospel to send us out in power, not with fear, but with love, knowing how much you loved us. So God, do that in us. You're so kind, the way that you work with us, the way that you're patient with us. We thank you. And so would you lead us now? Help us now as we respond. We pray this in Christ's name.